So good to be here this morning. I praise God for you all. Praise God for this church. I praise God for the fellowship with my brother Neil. Um, I have to get back down into this area so he and I can go have some coffee together. When I was right down the street here in Ferndale, from time to time he and I had a chance to get together, and that was always a wonderful blessing to sit down with another servant of God, a brother in Christ, and and just enjoy coffee. <laughs> Amen? I'd like you to take your Bible and turn over to Acts chapter 1. The text is in the bulletin there. Acts, And forgive me, I don't know, for some reason my throat is just extremely dry today. So please forgive me as I'm uh, drinking, just trying to wet the throat there. I just want to do a brief reading of this um, Acts chapter 1. Uh, we're looking at verses 2 through 9. And um, there's a discussion going on in this passage. It's a historical record from Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. The introduction here in verse 1, Luke mentions that he had written the former treatise, the former letter, and he's picking up the history and the actions of those who were the disciples of Jesus Christ. And starting in verse 3, we read, To whom also he showed himself, that's speaking of Christ, he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. And they therefore come together and asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath in his power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Father, we thank you this morning for this passage. We thank you that it's included in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the early evangelists and missionaries, the Acts of uh, the early deacons and the early leaders. 
We read their acts in this wonderful book, this exciting book. But Lord, here we find some foundational things that we want to notice and apply to our lives. So Lord, as the Spirit of God leads me with the words to share, I pray that the Spirit of God will also teach the Word to the hearts and souls of those who are in church this morning. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being here once again. Thank you for the invitation to open the Word here at this good church. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you do a Google search on Acts 1-8, it won't be long till you will see a question or a series of questions come up. And that is, where is your Jerusalem? Where is your Judea? Where is your Samaria? What does the other most part of the earth mean to you? And I did that. I did a Google search. You can go down through and you will find these questions. And these certainly are good applications of Acts 1.8. We should be asking the question once we understand the context. We should be asking that question. Lord, where is my Jerusalem? Where is my Judea? Where should I be that witness for the gospel of Christ? And, um, you know, I want to take from Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 a theme for this passage, a theme for the message, and that theme is this. With the Holy Spirit, our witness is possible wherever he leads us. With the Holy Spirit... Our witness is possible wherever he leads us. Sometimes we think witnessing is hard, right? Sharing the gospel is hard. And I want to be very positive about this. If we have the Spirit of God in us, if we are indwelt by the Spirit of God, if he is leading us, if he is controlling our lives, then the witness is possible Wherever he leads us. Amen? It is. Now, unfolding this passage, I I love it. I love verse 3. To whom Jesus Christ showed himself alive after his passion. I love that word passion. I have it underlined in my Bible here. Passion. And what does that talk about? Well, you... You referred to it this morning in the scripture reading, Luke 24, 45 through 49. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Christ should suffer and on the third day rise. That word passion englobes everything from the time of his arrest, through the beatings, the mockings, the cruelty, 
the nailing to the cross, the beating and the mocking while he was on the cross, his taking from the cross, buried in a borrowed tomb, all those things englobe the passion of Christ. Amen? Christ died for us. That's his passion. And when I read that one word, every time I read it, my mind goes back to the things that come before that. After his passion, he stayed with him. After he went through the cruel crucifixion of the cross, not because of his sins, he was the sinless, perfect son of God. Not for his sins. All our sins were laid upon him on that cross. That cross is the message of the gospel, isn't it? That his passion is the message of the gospel. And we should be, we should understand his passion. We should understand the gospel so that we have a message that we can give as we are directed by the Spirit of God. I love this. Forty days he was with them. Forty days with the eleven and others who were around them. And in his presence, they were able to see the marks of the nails where he was nailed to the cross. They were witnesses that Christ had been nailed to the cross. They were witnesses that he did die a cruel death. They were witnesses that he did that not for his sins, but for our sins. They had a message to tell. The passion is the message. The passion is the witness. All that Christ did for us is what we should be sharing. And so these men, they were able to witness Christ resurrected in his scarred body and learn of him and be sent forth by him. Well, as you read down through this section, it's prophetical in nature because Jesus is telling them they're ready, but something has to come first. They had spent at least three years, perhaps three and a half years, learning of him. So they were ready, but not quite ready. We could say it that way. There was something that had to come first. And that gives us the idea of the contest of why Acts 1.8 is so important. Uh, verse 4, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. So there's a promise, something still that needs to take place. Something that's going to happen. A major event. A major step when we see the birth of the church. He tells them that they need to be ready, but wait. Now, this kind of confused them if you look through the context here. Jesus told them to wait. He gives them a reference of the baptism of John. Look at verse 6. Look at verse, verse 6. 
When they therefore were come together, they asked of him. Now, I find this question to be a question that I would probably ask, given the situation, given what they had experienced. I would have probably asked that question. And people would say, Steve, where have you been? Haven't you noticed what's been going on? Look at the question they asked. Wilt thou, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They were living in the promises of the restoration of Israel. They were perhaps reflecting upon the fact that finally Israel will have their king. Perhaps they were thinking, now is the time for Rome to be uh, overthrown and we be liberated from Rome. But they were missing it. I mean, sometimes you can teach a lesson and by the you can ask your students questions and by their answers you know they weren't following you. I think that's kind of where this was we were at here. I mean, imagine they were three and a half years with Christ. Here were they they were forty days with the resurrected Christ. And my, my thing is, didn't they get it? That there was something in this program that was different. And so when I look at this, they are thinking prophetically. They're thinking, isn't it a good time for this prophesied kingdom to begin? Right? About ready to speak French here. (laughs) This prophesied kingdom is to begin, but not yet. So they needed a little clarification about how this prophecy would be fulfilled and what other prophecies would go along with it. And so the question leads to the Acts 1.8, very popular missions passage. Jesus responds to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. So as far as this prophecy, that this, this coming of this kingdom, it wasn't time. It was the Father who would bring about the kingdom at the time appointed and the time in his mind and in his thinking. When you look at Bible prophecy... And I, and I see this as a prophecy context. When you look at Bible prophecy, you realize, even as you're studying through the Old Testament, many prophecies had an initial fulfillment and then a much later fulfillment. We sometimes have the illustration of the mountain peaks of prophecy, where a prophet would prophesy something. And there would be one point in that prophecy, and he would announce it boldly. But he didn't realize that the perspect, from his perspective that there would be a future fulfillment of the other part of the prophecy. He didn't see that. And sometimes there was, we, we, we consider it the valley of the unknown. So you have the prophecy, something unknown, and 
the prophecy fulfilled. I mean, an example, very familiar passage to us. Isaiah 9, Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. This is of the same nature. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. We know that. So there would be a point in time that a child would be born, that the son would be given, and we have, of course, the names, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and the name of his and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Fantastic. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. That never happened. When Christ came, that never happened. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That never happened. So the child was born, the son was given, that happened. But his kingdom, this kingdom spoken about about in Isaiah 9 and verse 7, never happened. So there is this second mountain peak. The first is the giving of the son. The second is the ruling of the kingdom. A great chasm of time between the two. Because as we live today, the second aspect has never been fulfilled. The first yes, the second no. So when you see, when we're studying Bible prophecy and we see the first aspect fulfilled, we know, we can count on it. We don't have to doubt. The second aspect surely will be fulfilled. Amen? The first comes to pass. We know the second aspect will come to pass. And so that's, they're in a prophetical kind of context here as they are asking, will the kingdom be restored at this time? And Jesus is telling these 11, it is in the Father's hand. The times or the seasons are in the power of the Father. There's the first was his coming, but the kingdom is nowhere to be seen right now. So he is correcting these apostles. He's correcting them so that they will completely understand what is going to happen next. And then we have verse 8, but I love this. The kingdom is in God's hand. The kingdom is in his time. The kingdom is in his power. It will happen when the Father puts the program in place. But, and I look at the next passage equally as prophetical. But, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit is come upon you. They were to wait in Jerusalem. They were to wait for the promise of the Father. And so this but is a conjunction. 
It's a contrast to exactly what he had just mentioned to them. But there's something happening here. And so the Holy Spirit came just 10 days later. The fulfillment of this aspect, the promise of the Father, the announcement of Christ, the Holy Spirit would come. And 10 days later, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. Just 10 days later. Not very long, 10 days. I'm sure they were not sure exactly. I mean, looking back, we know it was the day of Pentecost. But from their perspective, they had no idea. And on the day of Pentecost, we can read it. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. We find the fulfillment of the prophecy that the Spirit of God would come. And he came and he baptized them. And they became empowered to do the work of God with the coming of the Spirit. For me, that's the first part of this prophecy. The Spirit of God will come. The Spirit of God will come. Ye shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power. And I think sometimes we miss it. I think sometimes we feel like there's nothing in me that can do anything to proclaim the gospel and that people would be saved. Folks, it starts with the Spirit of God and His power. As I used as an opening, with the Holy Spirit, our witness is possible wherever He leads us. Our witness is possible. In the second part of verse 8, so they're waiting for the power of the Spirit of God. And it happens 10 days later. For me, then the second aspect of the prophecy, they need to act upon it. And you shall be witnesses upon me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the, world, of the earth. We all have the Spirit of God if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. Amen? Is there any doubt in your mind about the Spirit of God living in you if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? There should be no doubt. We have the Spirit of God within us. He ministers to us through the Word of God. He ministers to us through the preaching of the Word of God. He ministers to us as we pray. The Spirit of God is active in our lives. In our lives, He is equally and is He is equally active as we begin to witness for Him. We can be a witness if the Spirit of God is living and vibrant in our lives, wherever He will lead us to go. I can. I can understand their confusion because their entire culture was looking for a kingdom. And now Christ is telling them, you're going to be witnesses of my passion. 
You're going to be witness of what I did. You're going to be witnesses of what you have seen. I think they felt utterly helpless when the Lord left them in verse 9. I think they felt completely alone and desolate, perhaps discouraged, because they had no clue when the Spirit of God would come as he had announced and as the Father had in his promises. They had no idea. After he had talked about them being witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, he left. He left. I can imagine that during those three and a half years and even during those 40 days, they were growing in love with the Savior, and he left. He left. And so here they are, alone perhaps, hunted perhaps, given this task. Ye shall be received power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Samaria and unto the othermost parts of the earth. I think the fact that Jesus left, that, that was quite overwhelming. I think it was quite overwhelming to them. But something happened, did it, didn't it? On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came as promised. Their lives were transformed. And the power of the Spirit of God existed in their lives. They saw the first aspect of the prophecy come to pass. So the second aspect, they had to realize it would come as well. That he would give them power. And they would be able to do the things. They would be that witness of the things they had seen in Christ. It's... Hard when you see somebody you love go away. You see someone you appreciate go away. Now, most of you weren't here when Gail and I first went to the mission field, but we were going to a country called Liberia in West Africa, and we ended up in Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast, West Africa. Let me tell you about that. We were planning to go into a country that spoke English and we knew something about. We ended up in a country where we knew nothing about. We didn't know they spoke French. We didn't even know the name. And God led us there. And as we were trying to go into Liberia, we realized that was going to be an impossibility. And we went with veteran missionaries that had 20 and 30 and 40 years experience. And guess what? Those veteran missionaries left there. You know, within a year after Gail and I were there, all the veterans were gone. We were the newbies, and we had another couple, fresh and new in this field. Everybody left. 
Don't you depend on people who have been through certain experiences to kind of guide you through it? Folks, I can tell you. We were in a country. We didn't speak their language. We were pretty isolated and pretty alone because our veterans had left. And we were supposed to be witnesses. I want to praise God today. I want to praise God today that my resources were in the word of God and in the spirit of God, folks. That's the resources. It's not looking to an elder. It's not looking to another missionary. It's not looking to those. Yes, we can learn from them. But when the bottom line is there... My witness depends on my relationship with the Word of God, my relationship with Christ, and my relationship with the Spirit of God. That's what it depends upon. And my wife and I were there in this place called Tulipler. You drive eight, eight hours on uh, paved roads and then another two hours on dirt road to get there. Pretty, it's pretty much an unto the end of the earth place. That's the way it was. But you know what? I learned that I had all the resources that I needed to be the witness that God wanted me to be. Amen? And after three years in that place, trying to make our way. I mean, you know what I knew how to say in French? I knew, to, I knew how to say where I live and where I'm headed to in French. Of course, I could say, hello, how are you? That's all I could say. But we were working with Liberian refugees from the country of Liberia, and we could go into their villages, and we could preach to them in English and share the gospel of Christ to them. And that was, as the scripture says here in Acts 1.8, that was the uttermost end of the earth for us. I've learned and that these names in the second part of Acts 1.8 are significant. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. These are significant in the New Testament context. We can study these cities, the city of Jerusalem. We can study Judea and Samaria. But you want to put some feet to this verse? What it is actually saying is we need to move. They needed to move around Jerusalem once the Spirit of God came. They needed to enlarge that. They needed to move around Judea. Amen? They had to move. They weren't to just stay in the upper room or, or whatever. They needed to move. And Samaria? They had, a, they had to move to people that, quite naturally, they didn't like. They needed to move to them. And how do you get to the uttermost parts of the earth without moving? Folks, that's we can study these regions and, 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 and get a, an idea, but very practically, we can read this verse today, and what the Bible is telling me is if I have the Spirit of God, 
I can be a witness no matter where God leads me. It could be my Jerusalem. It may be my Samaria or my Judea. Or it may be to the othermost part of the earth. But when I read this, when I look at this, it simply tells me, be ready to move. Look at the book of Acts. Did Paul stay in one place? He moved. Sometimes he was in a city for three weeks. Sometimes it was several months. Sometimes it was several years. But when the task was finished that he had set apart doing, he moved. That's missions. We need to ask yourself, where am I ready to move to? Am I ready to take a walk down the street and talk to my neighbor? That's moving. Am I ready to go down Baltimore City and help Brother Steve Fleck down there? Move, walk down there, drive down there, move there. It means to move. We have all the resources. We have the word of God. We have the spirit of God. With these resources, Jesus is telling them, be ready to move. Well, Gail and I moved out of Pennsylvania We moved to this place we never knew about. And as I shared this morning in Sunday school, the pastors came to us and said, would you consider coming back here in this country, remind you, we didn't know a whole lot about it, and be servants of God here? Would you be willing to come here? Which meant to go to Canada and study French. Would you be willing to do that? And we said, yes, we're willing to do that. Wasn't in our plans, but we're willing to do that. And folks, here's the most wonderful thing. We have family in San Pedro. We have people we love people we've led to Christ, people who are growing and taking leadership. I mean, when, when we first went to San Pedro, there was no Baptist church. Now there are five. Because of a move. Because of a move. We have the resources already, but it's the move. We need to move to where those people who desperately need the gospel. I I was curious as we did the scripture reading about the islands who were rejoicing in the, I guess it was back in uh, Isaiah 49. That's an interesting passage. How, how are people on these islands praising God? Somebody had to move there and give them the gospel for the praise to take place. Amen? Somebody had to move there. 
I can tell you this. This family of God that we've seen grow. A family of God. You saw in the pictures and the things I shared with you this morning. That's the moving of the Spirit of God. That's God using my wife, using me at a place that God has led us to, to share the gospel of Christ. I guess the question is, with the Holy Spirit, our witness is possible wherever he leads us. Are we willing to be led? Are we willing to be led? Are we willing to say, there's a lot of things in life here, but there's a place that needs desperately the gospel to be preached? A little over two months ago, I said goodbye to the people I've worked with for since 1997. It reminded me of Acts chapter 20 when Paul was passing through, again, Paul moving as he always did, <coughs> as he passed through. He wanted to see the elders of Ephesus. They spent some time together. He rehearsed his ministry in the 20th chapter of Acts. But at the end of that little visit, I want you to listen to this. Acts 20, verses 36 through 38. And when he had thus spoken, Paul, when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. Who did he pray with? These people he had evangelized. These people he had trained. These people he had lived with, stayed with. Look at verse 37. And they all went sore. And fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Why? Because Paul was going to move. We have all the resources. We have the word of God. We have the spirit of God. We all, we, all, we all have those resources. I can tell you, I do not regret one day of spending the last 32 years in missions and the last 27 years in Cote d'Ivoire because with your partnership, with your prayers, you could go there today and find the family of God and they will embrace you and they will thank you because you have been a part of our ministry there. They will welcome you. They will do anything they can to let you know how grateful they are that you had a vision to send a missionary couple, my wife and myself, to their country, to their town, to share the gospel.
Folks, my question is now, are you willing to move? There's not a whole lot of theology in that. If God is leading you, move. <laughs> if he puts the burden on your heart, move. Um, I think you heard this morning, I'm, I'm retiring from there, but I'm not retiring from reaching people with the gospel of Christ. That's not the retirement. I'm just moving to another place in another language. My question to you is, we all know Acts 1a, and ye shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Am I willing to move? I have all the resources. Amen? Praise God. Father, thank you today. I pray today because of the passion of Christ, because of what he has done for us, because of uh, his willingness to come to earth, be born of a ba- as a baby, to live some 33 years on this earth and, be de- and to be nailed to the cross. His passion, his sacrifice. Lord, we have such a wonderful message. Lord, move us. Move us. That we will be your witnesses because we have all the resources. And may the Spirit of God lead us. Father, I pray for this church family. I pray should there be someone here who came today who has never experienced the passion of Christ, that they could come to him for salvation because he calls us to come. We would come to him for salvation. And Father, I pray equally for the members of this church. The message has been preached. It's the Spirit of God who must move us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.